building our trust in one another. One key to building trust is found in improving our communication with each other. I think of a little boy who had been a ring bearer at a wedding. On the way home, he asked, how many brides can the groom marry? <laughs> One said his father, why do you ask? Well, the minister said he could marry 16. 16, how did you come up with that? Easy, the little boy said. I added it up. Four better, four worse. Four. Good communication requires kind speech and careful listening. While many appreciate smiles and companionship, and that is found a plenty around here. Ralph Waldo Emerson thought this was not enough. The glory of friendship is not the outstretched hand, the kindly smile, the joy of companionship. It is the spiritual inspiration that comes when you discover someone else believes in you and is willing to trust you with a friendship. In today's relational look at trust, we consider three important steps in building trust with those around you. Toleration, vulnerability, and participation with a source for each of these three points. First, toleration. North Lake UU is filled with tolerant people. You know that, as do I. But several facets of the degrees of toleration surrounding you may be useful in your everyday life. An article in the parentmap.com magazine, and I think, thank Inga for sharing it with me, features the recent rise in hate crimes in the Seattle area. Malia Jackson's Beyond Tolerance tells of anti-Semitic graffiti that appeared on the side of a garage in West Seattle, quickly followed by statistical data about hate crimes in your neighborhood. Now this begins with a mention of tolerance, the ability or willingness to tolerate something, in particular the existence of opinions or behavior that one does not necessarily agree with. Tolerance. But in this community, it's important to know that a recent FBI report says Washington's hate crimes are nearly double the national average. They increased 32% from 2016 to 2017. In other words, they were already high. And Seattle's hate crimes doubled from 2016 to 2017 from 118 to 234. 
What's boiling over in Seattle is simmering nearly everywhere else across the United States, thanks to long-standing tensions around race, gender, and religion. Jackson quotes Lisa J. Keating, the founder and coordinator of My Purple Umbrella, an LGBTQ organization. Says Keating, the Northwest has always been a home for white supremacist groups, which feeds into our culture. But Seattle likes to think itself as extremely liberal. So we fooled ourselves into thinking we don't have these kinds of issues, and we're caught off guard when they pop up. An underpinning of disregard to divisiveness creates a breeding ground for hateful acts in seemingly peaceful neighborhoods, perpetuated by people who are quick to denounce hate but slow to examine their own prejudices. Keating says, I think tolerance is too narrow in its scope. We've evolved beyond the language of tolerance. And beyond tolerance is acceptance and inclusion what I would hope that we begin to see more and more of here in this religious community, acceptance and inclusion. Second, vulnerability. Ooh, this is a tough one. The move toward acceptance and inclusion requires that we recognize our vulnerabilities, that we are able to examine our own prejudices as well. I turn here to Brene Brown's book, Dare to Lead. I've seen many quotations from Brene Brown, and when I saw this book, I said, oh yeah, we're talking about leadership at North Lake. Might as well read the book. Its first section is rumbling with vulnerability. Five chapters, rumbling with vulnerability. Now, rumbling refers to critical talk or dissatisfaction. And here, it's focused on most people's attitude toward those things that make them feel vulnerable. For Brown, Someone who can address their vulnerabilities will have the courage to show up when they can't control the outcome. And that if we are brave enough, often enough, we will fail. Daring, dare to lead, daring is not saying I'm willing to risk failure. Daring is saying, I know I will eventually fail, and I'm still all in. Brown lists six myths of vulnerability. I'll share all of them with you, then focus on the fifth one because it relates to trust. Myth number one, myths are ideas that people carry around with them, right? 
Myth number one, vulnerability is weakness. Brown points out that courage always handles a vulnerability or many vulnerabilities. Myth number two, I don't do vulnerability. She replies, there's no opting out. You can do vulnerability or it can do you. Myth number three, I can do it alone, says Brown. You may think so, but we are hardwired for connection. She has more, too. There's more in the book, yeah. Um, myth number four, you can engineer the uncertainty and discomfort out of vulnerability. Her reply, and she gives an example of a corporate setting, is that in every business, there is ethical decision-making involved. So if you don't do vulnerability, or you are in a culture that thinks vulnerability is weakness, it's no wonder that ethical decision-making is a problem. Myth number six. We'll return to number five in a moment. Vulnerability is disclosure. Disclosure. Not so, she says. Because there is no daring leadership without exposure to vulnerabilities. This book has much more on these five myths, as I've said. But we turn for a moment to myth number five. That trust comes before vulnerability. And what Brown says here is very interesting. We need to trust to be vulnerable, and we need to be vulnerable in order to build trust. In this, does the chicken or the egg come first situation, Brown sees a loop of interactions where trust is gradually developed by people who are willing to step forward in times of need. And it is not in, in the big items of life where this happens, as if, well, we're together long enough that we now trust each other, so let's do something. No, trust shows up in the day-to-day -day events. Things like remembering a birthday or recalling the name of your parents who you had just met once, or asking about how the new job is going. And I must admit, I myself am not very good in several of these areas. And I don't imagine anyone else out here is perfect in all regards on these items either. But these are the little things, the areas where trust gets built between individuals. And so, what happens is that when someone can see and someone can also feel that there is around them people who care for them, they begin to feel more comfortable with placing their trust in those who make them feel at home. Rumbling with vulnerability is about leaning into rather than walking away from the situations that make us feel uncertain, at risk, 
emotionally exposed. Lean into those places, my friends, and trust will develop. Stepping into a vulnerable spot leads to your presence being seen and appreciated. It is where trust can be built. Third, participation. Many here have read Dennis Adams' book, Honest, Direct, Respectful, Three Simple Words That Will Change Your Life. Not all of you I know, but your church leaders have read and studied it. It has been part of designing your covenant of right relations that we read together earlier. Whether you have read it or not, I must say that there is an additional complementary source designed, I think, for trust-building conversations. I have begun to take a course called How to Communicate Like a Buddhist. It is online. It was written by Cynthia Kane. Kane's technique is very similar to honest, direct, respectful. The questions are much the same, but she uses three different yet overlapping words. Her approach to conversation is based on the practice of mindfulness first shared by the Buddha. And in this, she invites mindful listeners to be kind, honest, and helpful. Kind, honest, and helpful. She encourages an inner dialogue before speaking with three questions. We ask ourselves, is what I am going to say kind? Is it honest? Will it be helpful? If so, proceed. If not, well, there'll be other opportunities to share kind, helpful, and honest words with those with whom you are speaking. Cain lifts up the idea of a difference between reacting and responding. Some people react to a speaker quickly. Some, I have noticed, and maybe you too, even step on top of others who haven't yet finished their thought or share what's on their mind. Cain suggests moving from such a reactive conversational framework to responding with a reminder that we have the opportunity to think before we speak. Responding involves such a rest, taking a few seconds for thought and asking, is what I have to say kind, honest, helpful? Here Kane shares a, shares a story about Franklin Delano Roosevelt. FDR was accustomed to reception lines. He stood in many of them. And he decided one day to tell everyone who walked by to shake his hand, I killed my grandmother this morning. <laughs> now, most people prepared for seeing the president, said, so glad to see you, you're doing a wonderful job, and went on. <laughs> but then somewhere near the end of the line was a Bolivian ambassador. And when he heard FDR say, I killed my grandmother this morning, the ambassador hesitated for a second, then replied, she must have deserved it. <laughs> 
I'm not certain I agree with the ambassador, but he was the first person who listened to what FDR was saying. It would be wonderful if mindful listening came to us naturally. But I must tell you, I've walked this earth for 70 years now. Hard to believe. I've studied chaplaincy in that time, yes. I've worked as a chaplain, and yet I greatly appreciate the suggestions, the tools for life, the lessons for life, that's what these are on Sunday mornings, available in how to communicate like a Buddhist. And I would suggest to you that the widespread use of mindful listening might prove helpful in the effort to build an ongoing sense of trust and trustworthiness in this community. Today's Lesson for Life summarized three concerns for building trust in each other, whether it be for you at home, in your workplace, your city, this church, or in the world. They apply in all areas. You will soon see links for the three sources mentioned for toleration, the building tolerance article, for vulnerability, the Brene Brown book, Dare to Lead, for participation, the eight-week online course, How to Communicate Like a Buddhist. These sources provide insight far beyond my ability to summarize in a message, but they are made available that they can prove useful to you and this beloved spiritual community, North Lake Unitarian Universalist Church. May the love you hold in your heart find love in the hearts of those around you. Namaste.